I didn't choose jazz. Jazz chose me. That's the first line of the wonderful British jazz musician George Melly's autobiography. Rum, bum, and concertina. At least, it is according to me. There is an after-dinner game that some people know as the book game. Fancier players refer to it as ex libris. Players are given a book's title and author and its year of publication. Everyone drafts their own imaginary first line. These are put into a hat, along with the genuine first line. Someone reads them all out and the players vote for which they think is the real one. The actual first line of George Melly's autobiography doesn't do justice to his incredible life, wit, and abundant creative talent. I seem to recall it is something dull about prep school. I like to think mine, I didn't choose jazz, jazz chose me, was a posthumous gift for him, and, as it turns out, for me. Because I didn't choose cancer. Cancer chose me. The business of bodies is an odd one. Over half a century of life and I'm still struggling. I see my physical and psychological selves as overlapping circles, a Venn diagram in perpetual motion competing for my attention. For most of my life, the psychological me has grabbed my consciousness like a tabloid headline. The physical me has been sidelined to the classified ads in a local magazine gathering dust on the coffee table. Assumed to be healthy, mostly ignored. I've seen my body as a workhorse, strong and functional, not attractive aesthetically, but more than does the job. It tends not to allow illness, bugs, viruses, or anything horrible. What I didn't expect was that it could turn on itself from the inside. My body's suicide mission revealed itself on the 23rd of January 2016 at around 4 p.m. at the top of a hill. In the Catskills in upstate New York, nestled in a valley, is a picture-perfect inn with a large veranda. Inside, the Beaverkill Valley Inn are cosy rooms with log fires. It oozes comfort and warmth. We go every year to this oasis, a tradition started by friends who got married there. They invited us to a group weekend in 2007, just a year after we moved to New York from London. It was such a hit that we've been coming together, around ten families in all, every year since. This particular year, there wasn't the usual abundance of snow, and the cross-country skiing had to be put on hold. We were itching to get outside, so I joined forces with three girlfriends, and we set off for a hike up the hill. I was a little uncomfortable because my snow jacket was too large, as were my gloves. By contrast, my snow boots were too tight— I felt weighed down before we had even started. Nonetheless, we set off, leaving behind the rest of the pack as they sat around the fire playing bananagrams. We chatted while our bodies adapted to the cold and our eyes grew accustomed to the brightness of a patchy landscape of miserly snow framed by a dull white sky. I felt good safe and happy in the company of these friends whom I never see enough. We upped our pace gently. Alex, who is proportioned like a gazelle, strode ahead. We were reaching a crossroads, and it was time to decide whether to go on or turn back. Alex wanted to go on. Gretchen and Janet were undecided. 
I was feeling a guilty urge to retreat to the inn, my book, and the enticing fireplace. Why did I feel so burdened and tired? I answered myself silently, knowing my answer to the question was the usual self-denigrating one. It must be because I was overweight. Wait, something else. Something inexplicably odd. Within seconds odder still. I could feel myself growing even more tired and somehow intangibly different from how I would normally feel on a walk like this. That feeling of being extra tired must have been here for a reason, but it was not a reason I could understand. I was confused about whether I wanted to go on or whether this strange feeling meant I should turn back. I opened my mouth to say something while knowing that I wasn't sure what I wanted to say. There was something impeding my fluency of thought and speech.